0: Our focus this morning is alignment with God. And so how do we align our lives with God? That's kind of a good question. And so we're going to look at God's word to answer that this morning. And as we head in that direction, if you will, watch this.
1: Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom.
0: Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. Mom. Don't tell mom. Don't tell
1: mom. Don't tell mom?
0: Yeah. The best stories you'll ever tell start with don't tell. Don't tell dad. (laughs) Yeah, I like that commercial, obviously. The only problem is if you're a kid in that family, you're not sure how to align yourself. Do I align myself with dad who says don't tell mom? Or do I align myself with mom? who says, don't tell dad. And actually, that's kind of a problem that all of us have in our lives. (laughs) We're kind of like the kid there, kind of tugged between a couple of things. And that's kind of aligning ourselves with God, which we'd like to do. But sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes it seems like, you know, maybe we might want to align ourselves with the world. And so we kind of are caught in between those two things when things are fairly black and white it's kind of easy to tell which is which but the problem is is that sometimes things are not quite so clear and turn a little bit grayer so again how do we line ourselves with god and not so much line ourselves with the world when it comes to alignment there's some some things uh, that that we need to know first of all the word aligned i usually think of the tires on my car you know the front end thing is is they need to be perfectly straight Perfectly aligned. When that happens, what? The steering wheel's nice and smooth. You look at the tires; they they wear evenly. You know, when you're running down the road. But but what happens is we hit potholes and we hit other things in our lives, and then that can cause our alignment to go out. Thankfully, the alignment in your car never really gets this bad. But the path that we might take in our life when we're not really aligned with God can be all over the place. You know, you see where you can go down the road, but your path is like the picture there, right and left and back and forth and wobbly. And if you spend some time misaligned from God, something else happens. You become maligned. And as you see there in the picture, man, you can run completely off the road. You can run over things that are good for you. You don't want to run over. We can be mullined. Having all sorts of things happen to us that we don't want if we become misaligned with God and spend any time there. The other thing about alignment is this. You know, we think about alignment and tires and all those tire tread pictures we just saw being right on the surface. But the truth is our alignment with God actually goes much deeper than that. Much deeper than that, as you see in this picture. And that's really where it happens. It really happens deep down inside of us. And so, what about this alignment with God or alignment with the world? How do we understand that? Well, let me say that in Acts 13, chapter, verse 21 in the RSV, Israel, this is the New Testament, but it's recounting the Old Testament, Israel asked for a king. So, in terms of their alignment with God or their alignment with the world, what do you think? Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament, God is called the king. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, so if Israel is asking for another king besides God, that's not really aligned with God. It's really aligned with the world. They saw all the other kings and stuff that was going on. They said, "Hey, we want to be like them. We want to have a have a king as well." And so they really align themselves with the the world there. But look what God did. God gave them Saul, which says the son of Kish, tribe of Benjamin, as their king. And so what happened was God aligned himself with Saul. And so if the Israelites would align themselves with Saul, then they would be aligned with God as well. So we see in 1 Samuel 11, 5, and 6 in the New Living Translation, they told Saul about the message from Jabeth of the Ammonites. So what this means is Jabeth was an Ammonite. He was a bully. So what he did was he sent this note to one of the Israeli towns, and he said, hey, we're going to come conquer you, and you need to do this, that, and the other. And they were kind of trying to buy some time and figure out what the time to do. They sent a very nice note back to Jabez, and he was not very nice. He goes, ah. So they told Saul about this, and look what happens. The Spirit of God came strongly upon Saul, and he became very angry. He was very tightly aligned with God. And so the Spirit came upon him, and, and his anger was God's anger. And look what happened as a result. The remnant of their Ammonite army was so badly scattered that not two of them were left together. In other words, they were all completely gone. Just completely one guy here, one guy there. And that's what the alignment with God did for the Israeli uh, people of that time. You know, They were all on the same path, all heading in the same direction as directly as they could. But uh, later in 1 Samuel 13, verses 5 through 7 in the New Century Version, We read, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. Now, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel, bitter enemies. They really hated each other. And so they assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And when the men of Israel saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, what did they do? They hid. Saul and all his troops with him were quaking with fear. And so let me ask this. In terms of their alignment with God or their alignment with the world, where do you think they were aligned? It was the world. And that happens to us too. You know, when situations in life come up that are are hard for us, we're hard-pressed, they're critical for us. Man, I don't know about you, but it's like, I just want to go hide from all this stuff. And so... What happens usually in that process is, is that inside you start feeling a little uncertain, you start feeling a little bit frayed. and when you do that, what you've done is you've you've left the alignment of God and you've just lined up with the world. The way the world deals with things. You know, inside when you're really upset about something, you don't you feel that? Just those wiggly lines in, in terms of the path that you're you're on and what you're looking at. And you'll notice that those lines on that road there too, you know how long it would take to get to the end of that? It's much, much longer. Because you have all these other things you're dealing with along the way. Like, oh, I need to straighten back up again. Oh, here I go this way and that way. And so, as we see in First Samuel 13, 8 through 10, and verse 13, continuing in the new century version, Saul waited seven days because Samuel said he'd meet him, but Saul did not come. So you see he's waiting here, incredible army in front of the Philistines. They're all scared to death. They're all aligned with the world. And Samuel had said a week before like, say, like, noon, a week from today, I'll meet you out there, okay? We're going to get you guys lined up with God really, really tight. I'm going to go and offer a sacrifice. God is going to be with you guys. Everything will be going straight ahead, and you will be able to conquer them, no matter what you think. You'll be able to conquer them. So noon, a week later, goes by, and you know what's going on. I was going like, it's noon. He's not here. So what happened was the soldiers then began to leave. Probably by you know one o'clock, one thirty, two o'clock. They're going, he's still not here. And are going, I'm out of here. I, I I can't take this. And they were so aligned with the world, they were drawn away. And so Saul saw this happening, going, oh my goodness. He said, bring me the whole burnt offering and fellowship offering. You see, that's what we do. When we are aligned with the world and things get tough, it's like, how am I going to fix this? How can I handle this? What do I do? But you see, in those cases, when there's stuff like that, it's stuff God's supposed to handle, we're not supposed to handle it. God's supposed to handle it. But when we're aligned with the world, somehow, you know, we're all over the road, the path there. And so we say, well, bring it to me. Bring me the whole burnt offerings, he said. And so then Saul offered the whole burnt offerings. And just as he finished, Samuel arrived and said, You acted, and I double underline this with red, foolishly. You acted foolishly. And here's what that looks like. They were scared. They were afraid. You know, they're all over the place in terms of their path and what they're feeling inside. But when Saul decided to take things in his own hands and take them out of God's hands, it got worse they became maligned, completely ran off the road. They were running over things that were supposed to be guiding them. That's where they were. And so back in Acts 13, 21, where we started again, describing what happened in the Old Testament, Israel did ask for a king. God gave him Saul, as we said. God was with Saul. He was aligned with Saul. But what happened to Saul? Saul aligned himself with the world, didn't he? It's true of all of us. We do that. We, you know, We can be so tight with God and then Something comes up and, you know, we start wavering back and forth. And then we kind of slide over into fear or upset or, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to take care of this. It's easy for that to happen in our lives. I, I kind of thought of that this week as I saw a guy interviewed on television. This guy is devout Catholic, devout Christian, he says. He donates millions of dollars. This last year, I think he donated $11 million to charity. He has the number one cable news show on television. It makes about $20 million most years. He had just had this book come out. And so he was interviewed about the book. You know, as I looked at that, I said, wow, man, I mean, to give away that much money, that's incredible. I was curious about the book. The title kind of got me a little bit. I was just kind of interested, and in, uh, with that in mind, share this. And some of you guys, of course, will recognize him. And now
2: O'Reilly is adding to his opus with a new book that's likely to be his most popular and divisive of all called Killing Jesus. Although he's a devout Catholic, he didn't write a religious book. He doesn't call Jesus the Son of God or the Messiah. O'Reilly admits that some of his facts directly contradict the Bible, and he stands by them. More than $10 million for this book. Almost unheard of in publishing. In the book, you don't refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Why?
1: Because it's not a religious book. There's no religion in the book. Nothing. It's all about history. I just want to write about important things in a very entertaining way. That's the formula.
2: The title killing, using killing, it's sensationalist?
1: Of course, of course it's sensationalist. That's who I am, I'm a sensationalist. I'm a big mouth, I, I get attention. In this world you have to, if you want a mass market presentation, you have to get attention. Do you
2: think people will be surprised to learn about Jesus?
1: That he was uh, a regular guy, very afraid, very afraid.
2: What do you mean very afraid?
1: Scared to die, scared to be uh, put on a cross and that he got angry and that he was a little violent and that he was a man.
2: He was upset with people of his own faith.
1: Absolutely. He was was upset that the Jews were taxing, overtaxing and extorting the folks.
2: And that story is important to tell because it explains why so many people wanted him
1: dead. That's the crux of the killing Jesus theme is that there was a reason he was executed, not that he was saying he was God, droves of people said they were God. But now when you interrupt the money flow, now you're into territory where they got to get rid of him.
2: Killing Jesus examines the final days and final hours before Jesus was crucified. O'Reilly writes Jesus was just 36 years old. You include two quotes from Jesus on the cross, but not the most famous one. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why
1: not? We don't put in things that we don't think happened.
2: But, Bill, you know what people are going to say. The Bible says that Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, but Bill O'Reilly says that's not true. So I should believe Bill. So is this the gospel according to Bill?
1: This is best available evidence according to Bill.
2: O'Reilly does give a lot of money to charity, including, he says, a million dollars a year that he makes flogging factor products every night on his show.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh, and I heard he gives all the money, this is his third book, gives all that away. So that $10 million he would give it away, plus, plus the other million. It's just kind of interesting. Is he aligned with God, giving away that much money, and being a Catholic and a Christian, I would say yes. But then you look at the book and you're like, hmm, you know, is he aligned with the world or is it God or is it both? And I think that's probably the answer. I think we all have that in us. But it's not my place or any of our places to to judge each other. I just thought it was really interesting as we were talking about alignments. Again, with the Acts 13, 21, 22 in the RSV, Israel asked for that king. God gave him Saul as a king. Saul was aligned with God for 40 years. But then after that, what happened? We've already seen he aligned himself also with the world. And he would go back and forth. He would align himself with God and things would be great. And then he would align himself with the world and things would be not so good. And the same thing in our lives. When we look at situations and circumstances that, that are out there for us, we tend to do the same thing. But look at this. Then he had him removed. What happened after 40 years is God removed Saul from being king. You could say, for Saul, the wheels came off. You might say, for Saul, his kingdom was a train wreck. Samuel, lamenting on that, God said to him in 1 Samuel 16, 1 in the NIV, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? You see, Samuel was tight with Saul in, in many ways. He, he, throughout those 40 years, told him what God was telling him to do and to say. And so he really had a lot invested in Saul. And the same thing happens with when we have ourselves invested in something. It can be a relationship. It can be a job. It can be a dream that we have. It could be anything. But when we invest in something and then something happens with that, man, it it hurts us to the core, too, doesn't it? And so, too, we often, before we go to God and align ourselves with him for his help and his comfort, uh, in his direction we spend some time over having a little pity party don't we well that was what was going on with Samuel because he was rejected as king and, and God kinda said to him there like hey get over this okay you know you're looking at this thing from the world not looking at the thing as I see it and so Samuel was doing this going like oh man <laughs> this is gonna be a train wreck ahead I can see it this is bad this is horrible But God said to him, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. And the oil was for anointing a new king. And so in saying, be on your way, he was saying, pick yourself up from where you are and begin heading in a new direction. Don't just keep sitting there and mourning. Don't sit there with a pity party. Uh, Don't just sit there overcome by all this stuff. Get up and start moving on your way. In doing that, he moved from being aligned to the world being lined back with God so fill your horn with oil be on your way I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem I've chosen one of his sons to be king invite Jesse to the sacrifice because I want to show you what to do you are to anoint the one I indicate and you see he slid back over on God's side there going okay I can do that and so he went in 1 Samuel 16 6 in the NIV they arrived that means of course Jesse because he would sent word saying hey come with all your sons I want to meet you Samuel met with him. They arrived at the same time, and he saw Iliab. This was Jesse's oldest son. Because remember that time, typically, the oldest son was the one that things were bestowed upon. He was handsome and rugged and, you know, all the things you think of a king. And so, Samuel's going, cool, all right. Surely, this is the Lord's anointed right here before me. Surely, surely, surely. And then God says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, and can't you just feel that in Samuel, huh, God, what are you doing, you ever, you ever do that, God, what are you doing here, and when you start asking that, usually, you move over here, and you explore that on your own, you know what I mean, like, oh, I guess he doesn't like me, or he's mad at me, or I guess, because of this happened, now, you know, I'm going to have to suffer, or, you know, all that stuff goes on, that's what happened with uh, Samuel here. He moves over to the side going, oh, geez, what is going on? And God tells him, he said, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks with the heart. And as he shares that, Samuel goes, oh, okay. It seems true for us. To be aligned with God, it's a heart thing. It's when you're aligned with God's heart, you see differently, you feel differently, You're able to receive his comfort. You're able to receive his strength quite differently than you do when you're aligned over here, when you're looking through your eyes at the appearance of things and how big or small things are. Because what that does, it just drags you back into the world. But God says to Samuel here, the Lord looks at the heart. And what that means is is that our hearts are to be aligned with God's. It's when your heart's aligned with God, again, you see things differently, you feel things differently, you're able to be comforted, you will be strengthened in a completely different way. And continuing in 1 Samuel 16, 8 9 in the NIV, then Jesse called Abinadab. So he was, the, he was the second son, okay? Second son in line, called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And then Jesse had his third son in line. Shema passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Seven sons, Jesse had, in verse 10, had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And here Samuel's probably going again like, okay, Lord, you told me to come here. I got up, you know, I've been aligned with you. I'm doing what I think you want me to do here, but, you know, there's nobody to anoint. You said none of these. You ever have that happen? You feel like, you know, you've, you've, you've overcome something. You're heading in the right direction with God. And it's like, yeah, it's going on. And then you get to a place and stop. The door's closed. You can't get around. That's where, that's where uh, Samuel was right now. And I thought Jesse was here with me. I thought Jesse and I are on the same page, God, going in your direction. 1 Samuel 16, 11, and 12, continuing on in this in the NIV. And so Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse sits there for a minute. Well, you know, they're still the youngest. He's tending sheep. It exposed where Jesse was. I'm going to bring all my best kids. I got that one little runt, David. Samuel sits there and goes, I get it. He and I are not on the same, but we're not aligned anymore. And he's certainly not aligned with God. Samuel says, sin for him. He's the one. We even think about that about ourselves, don't we? Am I good enough for this? Do I have the skill for this? Am I aligned the way I need to be for this with life and with others? Sometimes we think about that before we think about it. Am I aligned with God on this? This is really what God wants me to do. Because when we do that, as Samuel did there, something happens. Acts 13, 22 in the RSV, God raised up David to be their king. You see, what happens is when we align ourselves with God, God raises us up. God picks us up. God lifts us up beyond where we are when we're aligned and stuck and chained to something in this world. And we see this with David because right afterwards, Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp and he was over nine feet tall. Think of the contract he could have gotten in the NBA today. I mean, you know, most of the normal guys are just a little over seven, you know, so wow. So this guy's over nine feet tall. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, well, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and you will serve us. And so where do you think Israel is in terms of their alignment with God or their alignment with the world at this point? They're pretty freaked out. They are aligned with the world. The fear's got a hold of them and they just can't see anything else. It's kind of interesting because you know the story. You know, David's going to come against it. But think of the pressure on David. Think you have pressure in your job or your home or your family or relationships or other things. Think of David. Here David is. The whole Israelite army is sitting there. Goliath's across the way from him, and, and he is shouting this. What does David want to do? If it was me, I just want to sit with the rest of them. I want to do nothing. And oftentimes when the world has us and and, and we are aligned with it, that's what it says. Oh, don't do anything here. This could be dangerous. The outcome might not be good. And so David could have done that, but he didn't. And so the outcome only could go one of two ways. One, if he didn't defeat Goliath, they Israel would be slaves to their most bitter enemy, the Philistines. Again, not doing anything sounds a little safer, doesn't it? But if he won, Israel would be victorious over their fiercest enemy. So here's what happened in First Samuel 17, 45 and 46. David said, and right there, he came with an alignment with God. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. And you see what the Philistine's confidence in is in the world, things of the world. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. And you see, that's the way God works. When you're aligned with God, it's not necessarily your hand, your voice, your arms, your leg, your feet, your thoughts, but it's God's. God puts his hand on you and he guides you. He comforts you. He strengthens you. He encourages you. And so this day, the Lord will hand you over to me, he said to Goliath, because God's hand was on David, just as God's hand is on us when we align ourselves with him. Continuing 1 Samuel 17, 48, 49 in the NIV, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. It's interesting. The things of the world always try to attack. They they always, you know, there's always some frenzy in it. Whereas when we operate aligned with God, we don't have to to engage in that frenzy. So he came to attack, and uh, David went to meet him. Now, David obviously was going to fight, but he was calm. And so reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. You see, when we're aligned with God, God raises us up. And When you're aligned with the world, God overcomes it. He knocks it down, just as He did here with Goliath. Acts 13, 22 in the RSV, God raised up David to be their king. Look what else God did. God said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. You see, that's why David was able to do all the stuff he did. He was a man after God's heart. He was aligned there. And we know David had some pretty big mistakes in his life, some pretty big screw-ups, much bigger screw ups than any of us will ever hopefully be involved in. And yet he still was a man after God's heart. There were times that David aligned himself with the world in in some of the worst ways possible. But the truth is, in his heart, it it was always with God. It always returned to God. And so I don't know what you've done or where you are in your life or what's going on, because you can always come back and align your heart with God. And it's such an awesome thing to align your heart with God. It's not just help. It's not just encouragement. It's also joy. It's also fullness. It's also fulfillment. And this is maybe a different kind of way of illustrating it. But I want you to view this woman and this man, this guy and this gal, ...who are aligning their lives together in marriage. I I want you to watch as they travel down this path together. This is a guy proposing to what's going to (laughs) be his wife. It's one of those things where there's going to be a lot going on on the big screen. But down in in the lower left-hand corner, right over here, really watch that and watch the woman. Because what you see is sheer joy, a sense of surprise, a sense of excitement. Let me say, when you align yourself with God, it's the same thing happens... There is great joy in your life, and there's a lot of surprises in your life, too, that you can't normally see if you're over here aligned with the world. And not only when you align yourself with God, are you blessed, is it joyous and fulfilling and surprising, but it's also joyous for those around you. As an illustration of that alignment with God and what Jesus is talking about here with joy. Picture yourself in that situation with God as that young woman is with the guy that she's aligning her life with. So watch that lower left corner and see what this means.
2: So you
0: See, God does that with us. He writes letters to us all day long, lays them out before us in life. He says, read them because as you read them, you'll become closer to me, more closely aligned with me. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Did you see the joy on her face? The surprise on her face? That's what God wants for you and I as we travel the path of our lives. That we might be so aligned with him that our our hearts would see as he sees, our minds would think as he thinks, that we would be able to have the fullness of his joy we see in Jesus. In the same way, what you've seen, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God in heaven when one changes his heart and life. Think about that. When you align yourself with God, when you take a step over there, you saw all the craziness going on, the people all there at the end. Well, the scriptures say that happens in heaven for you. When we move closer to God, there's a celebration and joy in heaven. You see in 1 Samuel 17, 38 in the it's old Saul. He said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And that's God's desire for each of us that we would go and be so closely aligned with him that his heart would be ours and our heart would be his. Join me as we pray. Great God, thank you so much for your love, your incredible grace, your forgiveness for when we align ourselves with too much of the world and too little of you. And so help us, Father, to take this message to take your word out with us as we go today, today, tomorrow, this week, and help us to think about that. You know, how am I aligned right here? Oh, I'm so upset. When we get to those places. Help us to realize that our alignment is just all over the place, as we've seen in our pictures of the road this morning. And help us, Father, to then take that step over closer to you, not looking so much with our eyes, Father, and not looking so much at uh, at you know the height of things and and the the supposed criticalness, not when we're hard-pressed, but look with our hearts, your heart, so that we can see uh, what you might have for us, how you might want us to follow the path that you've laid out for us. So, Father, be with all of us as we would take this with us, and we would spend time with you in the week to come in this way. In Jesus' precious name, we all say, amen.